0: Welcome to the Move Daily Health Podcast, where we share information to empower you to be your own health hero.
1: Welcome to episode two of the Move Daily Health Podcast. I'm Dane Wallace with Freya Spence, and our guest today is none other than Mr. Alex, Butt. welcome. The intros are just getting better and better. That's awesome. Bye-bye, <laughs> <there>,
2: guys. <laughs>
0: Thanks for being with us today, Alex. Can you give us a little bit of a background as to where you're from in terms of what you do now and where your sort of path has led you within this industry?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So what I do now is uh, I actually have a facility in Toronto called Shift uh, Mobility and Performance. And with that, I do uh, rehabilitation and kind of injury care, injury uh, rehab. And getting people back into training, because you know, as we always speak about when we get together, like movement really is the the thing that kind of rehabs people the, the greatest. There's just that little bridging gap from people being at, like not able to move, and then kind of having this uh, this limbo period where they could be moving, but they don't really know how that they they can move. So I, I kind of bridge that gap uh, with that facility. The other thing that I do is I own a company or co-own a company called uh, Stoic Conditioning and that's based in the UK. That's more of an online military training platform. We provide uh, a lot of training programs through Stoic, but then there's a lot of other uh, moving parts to that company that uh, I'm sure we'll get into in a discussion today. Um, So so I'm going to guess that you are initially from the UK. I am, yes. Yeah, if you guys hadn't have guessed, I'm originally from the UK, but... Uh, I suppose uh, going into my background a little bit more, so I was born in the UK, I was born in London, but I actually grew up in Tanzania in East Africa, Um, and then I've lived in South Africa, West Africa, New Zealand, Australia... I have lived in England a little bit as well, and, then, and now I'm living in Canada. So uh, over the course of this, you might hear my accent change a little bit, and uh, it's not that there's a, a different person inside me or a doppelganger. It's uh, it's just my
1: accent likes to do some weird things. Yeah, that, that actually happens with Freya too, but not. Uh, it's under very special special occasions. happens. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Excellent. <laughs> so, um, what initially got you into this industry
1: to um, begin with? Well,
2: actually, it was it was kind of a weird segue into the industry, Um, so I started out uh, going to university for sports and exercise science uh, back in the UK and originally when I was younger I kind of only had two career paths that I wanted to do which was be a professional rugby player or be a professional soldier with the Royal Marines based in the UK Um, and then as I've spoken to you guys about I had a a pretty catastrophic lower back injury and uh, that slammed the door on both of those careers So. I had this kind of like, not I wouldn't say an existential crisis, but I certainly had a oh you know, what what am I going to do now kind of moment, and uh, that really led me to discover that I love training, and I always have done. I've always loved like the physical expression of training and and being physical, um, but then I also have this inane, like just this this kind of burning desire to know why. Like why do things change the body? Why do things do this? Why do we train a certain way? Is there a better way that we can train? That kind of thing. Um, and that's kind of like propelled me, that propelled me into rehab, rehabilitating myself, my own spine. Um, Cause back then, it, I mean, it was, Bad enough that I was like not walking. <laughs> so I mean, Yikes. I don't I don't blame the Royal Marines for being like, yeah, you can't come in and train with us because your legs don't work. But uh, but now <laughs> I, you know I rehabbed myself from that, and uh, largely due to discovering Stu McGill's books when uh, when I was injured, I kind of didn't really have anything else to do but read. Uh, the internet was still pretty young in those days, but good enough for me to research a little bit, and uh, I got hold of Stu McGill's books and uh, reha started rehabbing myself there and. Uh, yeah, that's a, a whole other story for a whole other podcast, I suppose, but um, that really that really pushed me to be like, I actually love doing this and I, I love the fact that I've gone from not being able to walk around to, um, at that point, I kind of like wanted to try and get back into playing rugby, but then like, the little uh, the little voice in my head was like uh, you know impact sports in weird directions probably isn't the best thing for your spine right now so i actually chose a different sport which dane's very familiar with uh, i actually competed in strongman for four or five years in the uk after my injury um in the under 105 category and uh loved that and it was it was more of um it was more of a. Uh, I wanted to do something that was going to really challenge my body because I didn't just want to be like, okay, I can walk again and that's good enough. It's like, I want to be able to walk again. I want to be able to run again. I want to be able to lift again. I want to be able to be strong and never be in that position again. So it was kind of like, cool, I'm going to do strongline. because <laughs> there is nothing nice on your spine than lifting Atlas stones <laughs> or about <laughs> lifting Atlas stones. There is no neutral spine position to pick up a car. You just have to do it Like, and you have to be strong and robust enough to do it. So that was a, that was a big goal of mine. And one of the reasons why I got into strongman, um, the other choice was powerlifting, but I don't have the patience to do three lifts. I have a, a slightly, uh, a slightly more uh, crazy mind, so I need to do more things than just deadlift, squat, and bench.
1: So that's a that's a pretty big gap there between having a massive catastrophic back injury <laughs> and then doing strongman. Yeah. No, it's pretty much opposite ends of the spectrum there. Yeah. So what were some of the key things that got you from being down in that? that low place of having that back injury to managing to, to figure out how to get yourself up to a level where Mm -hmm. you could put your body through that kind of stress. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. I mean, it was a lot of the stuff that I was doing back then was kind of, uh, I don't want to say trial and error because it was all backed in what I was reading from Stu McGill's books. It was, you know, I was reading Poliquin stuff, Czech stuff, Cressy stuff, like all, all the names that you can think of. I was just like, uh, ingesting as much information as possible because, you know, if anyone out there has ever been like really, really injured and uh, you're just lying around doing nothing, then it's like, okay, I I need to read as much as I can (laughs) because I don't want to sit here anymore. There's only so many episodes of Friends you can watch on a trot (laughs) before. You're like, okay, I need to go for a walk, right? Um, Move daily. So um, the the kind of transitional progression from that was, uh, it was slow and steady. It was kind of like you know i had no expectations of myself if there were days that i could move really well and you know i'd wake up in the morning and i'd be like hey my back is feeling pretty good um i'm gonna move more i'm gonna do a little bit more i'm gonna ask a little bit more of myself and then there were days where i wake up and i'd be like well today is not a good day <laughs> so i just wouldn't have any expectations even on those bad days i would still try and move um a lot of the movements that i would do and You know, I just, uh, whenever anyone's giving advice on podcasts, I always caution like, you know, what worked for me won't always work for other people out there. So if you are listening and you have back pain, always get it checked out because every case is completely different. But for me, what worked was um, actually loading my spine and trying to get back into the gym as soon as I could. So I think it was within, it was certainly within three months after my injury, I was like back in the gym but I was not really doing you know I was obviously not doing the things that I was doing beforehand I was getting into the gym I was getting into that environment I was enjoying myself I was being surrounded by my friends as well um you know all the the guys I used to play rugby with were still training in the same gym so it was kind of a good mental health environment for me to be in after having been injured for so long and, and and kind of really in a place that I never expected myself to be at. And I injured myself when I was 20, like that injury was at 20 years old. So it was like, you know, I just uh, uh, got to the point where my uh, rugby career was just about to take off. And when I finished university, that was when I was going to go into the Royal Marines. So it was kind of like, (laughs) whoa, those two doors slammed right in my face. (laughs) Well,
0: and usually, I mean, I, I could be very wrong here, but when you come from an athletic background, most of us at the age of 20 are still kind of under the guise that, we're still somewhat invincible or yeah. if there's a pain I'll go in a day or two like yeah. that's pretty I, I mean as a teen and athletically you're just like yeah I feel a little beat up I'll be fine next week and it's such an easy mentality but to have that hard and fast shut is just like oh yeah what's happening here and, and that I think you touched on is a critical part of any injury management mm-hmm. is the community piece to it mm-hmm. because when a therapist just looks at a person and their injury but doesn't understand that you know what the reason that person is so adamant about getting back to xyz is not just because of what that particular movement is it's because the environment that they're doing it in yeah so it's like how do we provide them with the environment without the negative stimulus to their back or whatever other area is injured because that environment that community piece when you grow up as an athlete in a team sport like rugby for Mm -hmm. example that's huge and that's like. Half the reason people do it—it's not about like I don't really think anybody truly needs to be beat up from things, but that community and that team effort is—is the part where when you're injured, it's like they're missing way more than just the movement stimulus. It's all that other mental health stuff.
1: Yeah, and that's—I mean—that's one of the biggest challenges too. As we get older, you know, as you alluded to, when you're younger, you know, you can bounce back from a lot of things, and you know, you tend to—you know—if you're going through school or something, you have a community around you as you get older and you have these injuries, there are more challenges that you have Mm -hmm. to face. And you know, we have clients coming to us that are kind of in these situations where they're older now, they're not recovering, they don't have that community aspect. And it really starts to take a toll on the mental health aspect of things. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. just compounds everything tenfold. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And that's, um, you know, we could go off down a little rabbit hole here talking about uh, that's like what the, we do <laughs> we love rabbit holes. we like
0: rabbit holes. <laughs> we just create more podcasts for all the other rabbit holes.
2: <laughs> but i mean we could talk about like the, the whole biopsychosocial model of yeah. rehab and how important and how prevalent that's becoming in, in rehab and uh you know looking into that and and just not looking at people from purely a biomechanical point of view it's mm-hmm. like i'm taking in a client you know they are trusting me with their health um and i'm not just going to look at them from like a mechanical like I'm gonna try and fix you point of view yeah. um, that was a big turning point for me a couple of years ago when I really started to delve into like the, the psychology and the sociological aspect of injuries and mm-hmm. you know as you guys say like when you're young you could run through a brick wall and then be like I'm gonna have steak and eggs tomorrow <laughs> and nothing's affecting me <laughs> but uh, and then like 20 years later you do try and do the same thing and you wonder why you you just can't even go for a walk you're on the couch
0: for like two weeks despite wanting not to be yeah Yeah. absolutely
2: and there is a big part of obviously like as we get older our bodies change and uh a lot of people best way to describe this a lot of people kind of get old without knowing that they're getting old
0: absolutely and athletes fall into that in a big way but desk jockeys are Mm -hmm. another population where all of a sudden it's like oh, well, I, I just couldn't do this thing all of a sudden. It's yep. like, well, it wasn't all of a sudden. Oh, 100%. It was actually in the last 10 years or 20 years or 30 years, you just didn't feel it then, Yeah. Um, which is always, you know, super interesting but unfortunate. And I think that requires a certain amount of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So with you, with the work that you do with your clients now, my understanding is you do a lot of that, conscious movement and that's where we all see eye to eye is like building awareness and ownership of your being in space and how has your approach changed I mean even over the course since your injury you've probably changed your approach multiple times and evolved it we all have Mm -hmm. because we learn so much more and we're like oh that was wrong okay off (laughs) we go (laughs) (laughs) but um, let's not
2: do that again but how would
0: you say your major coaching of of your everyday general population has changed in regards to helping people who've not had an athletic background who've not had to have that ownership of body in space Mm -hmm. who basically use their bodies to take their brains places um and then all of a sudden quote unquote (laughs) find themselves with something that's really limiting Mm -hmm. that technically had like a 10-year history it just was a slow drip
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i the the main thing that i do with people who, who don't have that kind of internal awareness is really try and teach it Um, and that's not a that's not a fast thing like some people that don't know how to create intrinsic strength like have no interoceptive awareness like they they can't just sit there and like close their eyes and listen to their breathing because their mind has been going for like 30 years
1: Mm.
2: you know and then they're all of a sudden they're like oh yeah maybe I should take care of my body and they go and like take pick up a sport pick up running biking go to a CrossFit class you know things like that and it's like okay you know one of my, uh, one of my favorite quotes or, you know, it's a self quote. I'm going to shamelessly quote myself is don't be surprised if, and I, I always say that to clients. It's like, you know, just remember that. Don't be surprised if, so don't be surprised if you haven't moved for 30 years or you haven't moved like in a certain way for 30 years and you can't do that. I, the body is an incredible energy saving and, Essentially, lazy piece of kit. Yeah. If we don't use it, we lose it. And that that aspect uh, applies to so many facets of health. Like, you know, if you don't cultivate mental health, your body will not. Have, you you will not have that mental health awareness if you do not train your strength. If you do not touch on strength every now and again, you will not be strong. You if you do not run, if you do not have an aerobic base or Train your aerobic capacity, your body will get rid of mm. <laughs> your VO2 <laughs> max, right? So don't be surprised if you haven't been able to do an overhead squat and then all of a sudden you try it and you hurt your wrists. It's like, well, what did you think was gonna happen? I, I'd
0: say you're lucky if you just hurt your wrists. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I was
2: choosing a joint there that was probably like the smallest joint, but yeah, if you if you do an overhead squat and don't hurt everything. <laughs>
0: yeah. Shoulder dislocations. Yeah. Um you had mentioned to us previously that you had an aha moment with a client mm-hmm. and what was that as a defining um defining moment we call them peak moments that's not a term that we came up with I mm-hmm. can't remember what book i read that in i think it was the the chip and dan keith yeah. brothers but spices say, mm-hmm. these peak moments are really the ones where it's like they might take it might be 10 seconds into. to Somebody else's eye mean nothing really at all. They're just everyday business. But for you, it was like, oh, yeah, right. And it shed light on going forward or on past experiences. So you had a peak moment with a client. Can you Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about that peak moment?
2: Absolutely. So this was after I rehabbed myself and when I was uh, training as a strongman. But uh, I was actually working as a personal trainer because... I had come out of university and I was like, okay, well, I've got this skill set. I don't really want to work in like, a, I suppose, like a an S&C environment, but I still wanted to train people. I still wanted to hone that skill and and really, you know, the uh, the PT education in the UK is not really great. And <laughs> so coming out the other side of that, I mean, I had a degree in uh, exercise science and I had a degree in kinesiology. And uh Coming out the back of that and going into personal training, I was like, well, that personal training diploma was a pile of shit. Oh. <laughs> so, um, so it was really, you know, using that personal training experience and being one on one with so many clients per week to be like, OK, this is actually the demographic that I'm seeing more and more you know, I'm not training athletes. When you're at university and you're, you know, taking part in studies, everyone's the same age as you. Like everyone has an athletic background. So everyone is kind of the same demographic as you. And then you go into training people one-on-one. You're like, wow, you haven't done sports in how long? <laughs> you haven't done anything in how long? Okay. Hmm. So my biggest aha moment was actually with a Canadian guy. who was one of my, I think it was my second client I ever got, and he's actually, I'm still friends with him now. I That's awesome. So he wished me happy birthday the other week. Um, but he uh, had a lot of issues. So, you know, he was um, he had come from being really, really overweight, and he had actually like uh, slimmed himself down by himself a lot, which was awesome anyway. But then he had a lot of underlying medical conditions as well, and he had. Um, uh, bone condition as well so you know his bones would suddenly just start growing more bones like randomly uh. he'd have like a little knock and suddenly he'd have like a, a bone spur grow at the front of his shoulder so it was like you know working with someone like that having come from working with people with uh, seemingly no issues seemingly no restrictions and, and seemingly a decent movement and health background to working with him one-on-one it was like wow i'm gonna have to learn real quick um but one of the biggest aha moments was kind of like two months into training this guy and he turned around and was like, you know what, I went to the supermarket the other day and I didn't have to, like, I could just uh, squat down and pick something up off the bottom shelf and I didn't have to, like, use the trolley to, which is a shopping cart in England. <laughs> <laughs> cart.
0: Uh <laughs> yeah.
2: didn't have to use the trolley for balance or didn't have to use the shelves and kind of, like, climb down them and, and it was really, like, a bit of a, like... I. I remember finishing that session and and going home and being like, wow! Like training that person has not just been like fun for me, and it hasn't just been like an improvement of his health. It's actually improved his entire life. Yeah. To be able to do that, and you know, I went on and trained him for a really long time. I think about two and a half years, and afterwards, it, it was like, you know, he was really strong. Like he had no issues walking up and down stairs. He had no. Uh, conscious inhibition about getting in and out of cars or like pushing something if he had to like grab a load of shopping bags and walk them to his house he didn't have to think twice about it and stuff like that is really hard hitting especially when you know yes I've been injured but I've always been strong I've always like had that mental like portrayal of strength in my own mind so in my own mind I've always been the world's strongest man (laughs) move (laughs) over is that just me (laughs) but uh you know, that that was a big turning point for me and just realizing that not everybody is operating at the same level and, and sometimes we have to alter our expectations of people And uh, but that doesn't mean that we should ever not give them the uh, respect due. You know, if he came in and was yeah. like, I want to run ultra marathons," I'd be like, okay, but it's going to take a while. Like, I never poo-poo someone's dreams even if they're really, really far-fetched because as soon as you, um, I can't remember how to say this, or I can't think of how to say this, but as soon as you kind of make a choice for somebody, it changes their mindset. And, and that can be very, very powerful when you're training someone.
0: I love that because one of uh, the best things, I, I think I've worked with a lot of different uh, practitioners over the years. And I think the ones that I resonated best with were the ones that had this innate belief <laughs> that you could heal yourself and that was obviously imparted with me that you weren't broken you weren't permanently busted and you could always go through uh, as so long as you learn from what brought you there and I think you touched on that really well because that's sort of a thing that we find in in our industry in particular people are very willing to label something as dysfunctional and I worked with somebody who had half an arm and that was my first time having you know working with somebody with with half of a limb, and I'd worked with people with limbs that were currently incapacitated, Mm -hmm. but we, you know, they were post-op or whatever we could work around, but this was a permanence, and it was just, it was really interesting, because he said, he told me right from the get-go, I said, I don't respond well to the word fail or Mm. dysfunction, Mm -hmm. and I thought about it, I'm like, well, no kidding, because you're not dysfunctional, you're functional to whatever it is that you practice, but Mm. uh, you hit the nail on the head where practitioners, health coaches, everything cannot just shoot something yeah. down just because their own experience has them led has led them to believe that, like, oh, no, this is the end of the road for this type of person. It's yeah. not true. We yeah. see, like, crazy feats of strength and performance and just living, mm-hmm. straight up <laughs> feats of living. I like to call them life PRs. Like, yeah. people <laughs> that were otherwise thought to n- not be able to overcome something yeah. or be independent or, or whatever else. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's awesome. It is fun to work with people to have their life be easier like that's I mean high performance is always exciting but when you can make somebody's daily life easier mm-hmm. and they don't have to think about like do I have enough energy to get up the stairs today mm-hmm. awesome
1: yeah and it's and just to kind of segue out of that it's you know your mindset ultimately dictates who you become you know your beliefs dictate who you become in the future if you believe yourself to be a certain way if you're told you're a certain way by your practitioners for a long mm-hmm. time then you develop that identity and you develop that thought process where something has permanence now, Mm -hmm. where it's not something that I'm ever going to achieve. It's not something I'm ever going to get past. Mm -hmm. And if you exist within that mentality, you know, even if you're going to the gym or you're, you know, you're seeing practitioners, you're doing these things and you're quote unquote, trying to get past that. Mm -hmm. If you innately believe that you're fitting into this little box and that's where you are and you're never going to get past that, your brain has decided that that's what's going to happen. It doesn't matter how many squats you do or what your diet is. You've determined that this is who you are and that's where you're going. Mm-hmm. So the mind just, it, it controls so, so much. Um, as someone, I'm looking at you right now and your shirt says stoic, you know, somebody <laughs> who, you know, you've worked with military populations. You've, your company is named, you know, stoic. Um, how can you speak to this kind of mindset and mental toughness piece? That's a, uh... You know, the the whole mental aspect of things and the mental aspect
2: of rehab, the mental aspect of training itself um, is huge. And uh, it's a topic that's really come into the limelight in the last five to 10 years. But it's obviously like there's always been research, but with with the advent of the internet and just how connected we are in social media and stuff like that, it allows people to share ideas a lot quicker. And therefore, generally, like the the kind of, uh, improvement that we're seeing in that aspect of research is going up and up and up. So, um, I'm going to paraphrase a quote and I'm going to butcher it as well, but <laughs> you know, something that you were saying earlier, is like where you are a year from now depends on the thoughts that you tell yourself, the books that you read, the people that you hang out with and the things that you do. And it's a day to day thing. You don't need to look that far ahead. It's just like, what can I do today to better improve myself? And that is, um, you know, that's a a Kaizen principle. So the principle of like minimal improvement every single day, you know, that's that Mm -hmm. creates exponential growth over a year, right? Um, But if you don't do that, if you don't improve every day, if you don't look at just improving one tiny little thing, it can be the 1%, right? 1% over 365 days is still a massive improvement. Whereas, you know, if you give 99% or, you know, you don't give that 1% every day, then you're just not going to do anything. You're not going to change. And yeah. just to go back, don't be surprised if exactly. you don't do anything to change in a year. And next year you're exactly the
1: same.
0: Exactly where you left off. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. And this was something, I mean, we were just chatting with some other colleagues in the industry. And I think I said this exact same thing for for a podcast we just recorded with them. Um, but it's, it's the exact same principle here. It's everyone wants the big, Bang, they want everything today. You know, Mm. it's I'm you know, January 1st, I'm gonna start taking care of my health, I'm gonna start eating this way, I'm gonna go to the gym, I'm gonna go to sleep, I'm gonna do all these things, and that lasts a week Mm. because it's too much. It's too much, and people, it's ambitious and it's great that you want to tackle all these things at one time and you want that big change, Mm. but it's the small change every day Mm -hmm. that is sustainable that is going to lead you to that ultimate goal. Yeah. And it's, again, you don't want to, you know, like you said, you don't want to squash some of these big dreams, but it's also important for people to understand that if you start small and you just adjust that one thing every day, and then 365 days a year, that's huge amount of time to make that big change. Yeah. Yeah. So.
0: And there will always be resistance to change based on how we perceive our identity within that mindset. So is that something that you ever... Um, approach with some of your clients. Like one of the a book I read about I don't know, five or six years ago was Ignite the Third Factor. Mm-hmm. And the key takeaway for me was just if you could get somebody to to spell out their goal, but then spell out what kind of human achieves that goal mm-hmm. and then marry up the lifestyle that, of the person they perceive achieving that goal with what they are actually willing to do and mm-hmm. then realizing if it was actually the goal for them. So it's really a kind of I uh, define it as like a why versus why not. Absolutely. And it's not about being negative, but it's like if you can't even envision yourself Mm -hmm. living by some of the key principles you can see that someone would need to take to get there, then the identity is off with that. So is that something that you broach with some of your clients in terms of like action items to get them moving in a better way to taking care, better care of their health, other than just having to come see you like Mm -hmm. multiple times a week? With all of their healthcare in your hands, yeah, <laughs> literally.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And um, so I, I suppose I really haven't like uh, filled in the blanks in between uh, working as a personal trainer and, and getting to where I am now. But I've actually owned uh, gyms in the UK and I owned a facility in New Zealand as well. And uh, for two years, I worked with Ultimate Performance in Mayfair in London with uh, Nick Mitchell. And uh, that gym, if anyone doesn't know about it, is all geared towards rapid transformations and, and very quick transformations of the, of the human body and phenomenal, phenomenal stuff that uh, the guys there were doing and just being in that environment and having like uh, bouncing ideas off like-minded people, again, it's just that environment just creates um, progression and creates that kind of uh, awesome environment, but a lot of the clients that were coming through the door, as I'm sure you're aware, weren't even re- ready for that change. So You know, a lot of people would come in and be like, I have this goal, I've seen the pictures, I wanna be shredded and, you know, I'm gonna (laughs) be radically candid here, but you know, I'm looking at them going, but you haven't lifted a weight in the last 20 years. So, you know, for you to make that change that you've seen on the internet, which is phenomenal, but that guy, like he was, you know, he'd been training for a really long time and just piled on weight and then like, we helped him get it off really, really quickly and it produces phenomenal result that's not going to be your reality. Mm-hmm. So it's not kind of like just squashing his dreams. It's, it's kind of like being like, okay, we can get you there, but it's just going to take a little bit longer. So they just have the expectations and manage those expectations. Yeah. Um, and just preparing that person's body for a rapid change, or maybe even just saying, well, you know what? It's probably not going to take three months. It might take six or nine months, but mm-hmm. we will still get you there. And it's the same thing with rehab. It's the same thing with training, expectations, things like that. Some people come in with incredible goals. And, you know, I had a person recently come in who he owns, a, uh, like, a big company in, uh, where is the place? Silicon Valley. <laughs> That's the place. That's What's the that place. What's that place called? What's that place all the there,
0: everyone? Tech, yeah. Money? Oh, right.
2: <laughs> so he owns a, a company in Silicon Valley, and uh, but lives in Toronto and has a place here as well. One of his goals was to be able to do Olympic lifting and, you know, Instantly my brain is analyzing his anthropomorphic proportions and like I've already taken his case history So I'm like, well, he hasn't done any athletics or anything athletic for the last 15 years. So it's like We can get you there. You're not going to be an Olympic lifter, but we can get you weightlifting for sure But it's gonna take a while and these are the steps These are the processes that we need to go through to get you there First of all, we need to improve your mobility and we need to make that mobility strong then it becomes lifting to get you strong in the basics and then it becomes a skill progression and skills take years to learn so it was kind of setting up like that like you know for the first couple of weeks we're going to work on mobility and positional isometrics that kind of like really end range strength and make sure that your joints are ready to move then we're going to move you we're going to load you up we're going to do kind of your i suppose fundamentals or basic exercises then we're going to progress into the fun stuff that you're really looking forward to but we're not going to get there until three to six months away Like that's just a reality, and even then, those movements are going to be broken right down into manageable pieces, so that you can learn a skill. You know, and that takes learning a skill takes a long time. Long time,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say that is one wonderful thing about. uh, I'm going to say it: CrossFit. We've both been in the CrossFit realm. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't. Where? Well, no, you've you've not. You've been in the strongman realm. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But. I would say that the one misnomer that often comes about is that people will walk in, they see all people of all walks of life doing all these these lifts, and um, invariably there isn't that stage. Mm-hmm. Some gyms do have it. I'm not going to knock that at all, and some gyms have done a wonderful job at that, but taking that person who's not left their desk for the last 20 years, putting just them through a four-week kind here. of intro to what the movements are, and then having them load up, is yeah. just not allowing for the tissue adaptation, and really the preparedness, yeah. not only just physical, but also mental for what you're going to do so that you know how to how to mitigate injury. Mm-hmm. So currently, um, speaking of CrossFit, you're training. Tell us a little bit about how you train yourself right now.
1: Yeah, you still lifting all the strongman stuff? Huh? You want to go get a lift in?
2: <laughs> Absolutely, man. So I still train uh, strength primarily.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, you've got to be strong first. But I suppose the, the transition or the evolution of my own training, I actually compete or well, train CrossFit at the moment um, just because, again, it, like, really panders to my... <laughs>
0: Need for variability, that's yeah. What, that's yeah. right.
2: So... Um, you know, I did a workout today that was like four exercises and it was great. It was just like absolutely crazy. Go hard for 20 minutes. Um, but within that, and we can, we can go off on one in terms of like how CrossFit could improve the, the level one and the level two CrossFit course to actually not just teach people how to teach people how to move, but also teach people what they're trying to achieve with the general population. You know, CrossFit is a, primarily an aerobic-based sport. It's an endurance-based sport. No matter what you see in terms of the, the incredible guys that, that go to the CrossFit Games, who are brutally strong, also have the aerobic capacity of, like, a flipping ultra-marathon runner, right? <laughs> um, but, the, you know, those guys have been doing it for years. Those guys are, you know, the 1%, and they've also, like, put in the time, they've put in the effort, though you know, you cannot take that away, that it just takes time and it just takes effort. But um, a lot of gyms out there and a lot of CrossFit gyms, and, and like you said, it's not all of them. No, I mean, you know, not at I've, all. I've, uh, I've, and also, I, I know a lot of PTs that <laughs> don't yeah. do this very well, but uh, CrossFit should be aimed more at improving aerobic capacity. And I think if more sessions were programmed towards that, CrossFit wouldn't have this stigma of just beating people up because it would be improving their endurance capacity, their aerobic capacity, and not primarily focusing on strength. And as you say, taking people who haven't trained in a really long time and then being like you get a barbell and you get a barbell and everyone gets a barbell and we're all going to do snatches and it's like well that, that person over there can't even snatch with a dowel so don't give him a barbell <laughs> okay so you know it's that it's that kind of <laughs> preparedness that I think uh needs to permeate into that intro level of, of crossfit now it's it's kind of like marrying up well those people now want to get into the classes a lot quicker so how can we transition them from on-ramping as they call it into normal class structures and well I think that's the that's a bit of um like a an interesting conversation to have with coaches the world over in terms of like how do you run a class that is constantly moving and constantly progressing forward, but yet have new people join that class all the time? Yeah, like levels you, within it, right? Exactly, yeah. how, how do you transition those new people into an on-running class? That's, that's an interesting question. <laughs> but.
1: Yeah, and I, I just want to jump in here real quick, quick little segue, because CrossFit has this name for everyone gets hurt when you do CrossFit. It's mm-hmm. like you, you, just, you get injured if you CrossFit, lots of injuries. Freya's worked in, you know, sports rehab before. And how many years did you work for the Sports Management specialist?
0: Uh, well, I worked at the Health and Performance Center in Guelph as well. And so, I mean, a, a long time. I don't even know what year yeah. it is. It's <laughs> 2018. Okay, so we're going back to like 2006 or seven. Okay. But suffice it to say, that, you know, we did get a percentage that had been hurt through there. But I saw just as many people hurt from yoga that, so that was the i point saw I more yeah. shoulder injuries from yoga yep. and again it, it, i think it just yoga is not bad crossfit is not bad mm. it is how we're applying it to the human in front of us and understanding that it's really hard to create a gpp model mm-hmm. that's actually appropriate yeah. to somebody who's just retired from an athletic career and they're in the same room as someone who has just gone up out of a desk for the first time in a couple decades. Yeah. Um and, and that's the challenge of any class structure. And there's some gyms that we know, they do a wonderful job. And it's almost like you have to be a little bit magic. But a lot of that, too, is um, the power of working one-on-one with a coach and then integrating that into classes, I feel, is mm-hmm. a way to empower people to better understand where their personal modifications are yeah. something as simple as like, no, you know what? I don't have the capacity to do a barbell back squat, mm-hmm. but I'm going to kick butt at doing a catapult goblet squat, yeah. or, you know, and that's okay. And knowing that that mm-hmm. is okay. Cause mm-hmm. one of the challenges when we're in competition mode is we see everyone else and it's innate, yeah. it's totally human Primal. to be like, well, they're doing 50 of those. I'm going to do 50 of them. I've done it. <laughs> We've all done it.
1: Yeah. And that's just it. I think you said it personal modification. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's CrossFit or if it's yoga mm-hmm. or if it's walking, everyone is different. Every single listener out there is different. You had a different life experience. Your genetics and birth were different. Everything is different. So again, it's primal to see somebody do something and say, that looks fun. Yeah. I want to jump in to do that. But it's also something you have to just think about the long term and say, maybe that's something I can get to. Yeah. You know, and then that's where you seek out a good coach yeah. who can help you get to that point. Yeah.
2: Like Alex Butt, for example. <laughs> I suppose you've got to earn the right to run with the pack, right? It's, yes. a, it's a very primal yeah. thing to, to be. We are creatures of, um, of tribes, right? So to have that, um, you know, to have that walking into a class environment and being like you know I want to do what they're doing and then for us to be like uh you know we're just going to pull you back a little bit and uh and coach you on the on the fundamentals we're going to coach you on the basics when you get the basics right then you can go and do all that crazy stuff with everyone else you know that's the responsibly yeah you've got to (laughs) earn the right kind of thing um
0: and so um tell us a little bit this is like slightly with it it maybe encompasses a lot of things that we've touched on throughout in terms of mindset in terms of ownership in terms of earning things and and then also that community piece um what is stoicism in the modern age if he could wrap it up within one or two sentences because we will do another podcast with you purely on that but just to give a little intro into what is that what does that mean
1: two sentences Two
0: sentences. <laughs> lot pressure's on. All
2: right. Uh, I had a whole speech, like an hour-long speech prepared. <laughs> it was very Ad- Aristotle and Socrates-based. But uh, uh, stoicism, the way I see it, and uh, the way it's really starting to become a template for the modern age is a guidelines or a rule book, you could say, or uh, a, way, a, a way that we can frame our minds, a virtuous way that you can frame your mind to come up against scenarios all throughout your life um, all different scenarios all different uh, trials and tribulations and still be in control still have that control still be able to live a good life I suppose and, and obviously you know a, a good life is uh, going to be different for, for every person but that's why stoicism works so well is because it's not a you know it's not an emboldened like you must do this it's not the ten commandments right yes but it is a framework of being like control the controllables self-awareness self actualization um and it's very very impactful and very deep and meaningful you know it's it's that uh self-improvement daily that uh really really is uh, it's a, a whole other podcast to itself <laughs>
0: excellent um And We will dive into that. Our our wrap up pieces are with our guests are around a few key questions. Um, What is, we're big book nerds here, we always have like five on the go, what is the most impactful book or a couple of books that you've read in the last six months to a year?
2: That's great. I, I mean, we even commented earlier about how our bookcases are very similar, <laughs> similar. So, and I have a, a Kindle that's brimming with uh, with books and uh, a load of books back home that I'm yet to read. So, I think one of the most impactful books that I've read in the last year, and I've actually reread it twice since reading it the first time, was Mindset by Carol Dweck. Mm-hmm. Um, fantastic very in-depth research book. It's hard to get through, which is why I read it three times (laughs) and listened to it once as well. Uh, But each time, you know, you're looking at a book each time through a different lens. You know, when I first read it, I was Alex back a year ago, you know, then I read it six months ago and then I read it three months ago or listened to it three months ago. And each time I'd been through different things, I'd come up against different things and been able to use the lessons that I learned in that book. And, you know, when you reread it, you can be like, oh, yeah, I dealt with that in a much better way, a much more constructive way. Um, and just to sum up mindset, it's very much um, a way of thinking in terms of everything just requires effort. You know, there's a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. If you're a fixed mindset, you th- you believe that the outcome dictates who you are rather than the process. And if it's a growth mindset then the process dictates who you are and, you know, who you are is a really strong uh, connotation because a lot of people do think oh you know I haven't achieved that on January 7th I'm still fat and that therefore that's me that's who I am <laughs> right and it's like no that's just who you are on January the 7th Yeah. but on January the 14th you have the ability to change yourself so why don't you take steps and that's that growth mindset and you can apply it to everything um, and I suppose another book that really was quite impactful off the back of mindset was I read a book by Steve Peters called The Chimp Paradox. Um, And that delves into kind of how the brain works. And uh, he really breaks down the seven parts of the brain that, uh, uh, you know, that we use (laughs) uh, into a really, really cool, like. Like, he calls the, the limbic part of the brain the chimp brain, and then the prefrontal cortex the human brain, and then, you know, other parts of the brain, the computer, the moon, this and that. And uh, he really breaks it down in a way that uh, you can understand it, but then reading it off the back of mindset, it was like, ah, that's cool, so that ties into that, and this ties into this, and, you know, and
1: that's why I react that way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully I can rewire that. Yeah, Absolutely.
1: Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. Um, and so one other thing, so if you had five minutes with someone, what one thing would you try and impart to help them with their well-being? I, uh, this is, this is a really tough question to us, obviously, like when
2: we have so much to give, we have that ability to be like, I'm going to talk to you for three hours about things that you can do. But I found personally in the past, and I still do it today. And, uh, it was something that I was told, uh, back in 2006, I think by Charles Poliquin, um, journaling, so writing, writing, and it doesn't even have to. You know, people are like oh, journaling—that's a bit. I'm not gonna do that. Yeah, but uh, so, so I, I don't call it journaling; I call it brain dumping.
0: That's exactly <laughs> what we call so, it because we follow the we follow a point basis, like mm-hmm. key points, and I've been doing that since I was a teen as yeah, well, yeah. on and off. But yeah, the brain dumps.
2: Yeah, it's, n- it's not like dear diary. No, this you happened don't have to, to go me to today. It's a story
0: or anything like <laughs> yeah. that. It can be simply like, you know, these are three things I'm grateful for and people are more and more aware of, yeah. you know, the gratitude journals now, but 100%. also like, here are three things I want to accomplish tomorrow. Yeah. And if I can do these three things, and it can be as simple as like pack my lunch mm-hmm. or Make that call that I don't want to make. Those three things will be the catalysts into a domino effect, and then the gratitude thing is is really key. And you can. I was also uh, taught to write down the one worry that I had because it's just like get it out of your brain. Stop the (laughs) you know little rabbit wheel or what is it a rat wheel? (laughs) I don't know (laughs) mouse wheel rodent wheel (laughs) from going over and over and 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 get the stories out of your head and bring it right back down to like these are facts these are the three facts i want to do tomorrow Mm -hmm. three facts that i'm grateful for and and i mean a a lot of people have different iterations of Mm -hmm. that so what's your sort of iteration of journaling
2: um well it's interesting that um stoics and stoicism as well um marcus aurelius is like his his books were just his journals. It's like it's the journals of Marcus Aurelius, right? Mm -hmm. And Seneca and Cato and other Stoics, they they all wrote things down. They all that's why we have all this information about what they did two thousand years ago, right? And how they lived and how Marcus Aurelius, who was an emperor of Rome in, in one of the peak you know, he was the last great emperor of Rome, how he dealt and how he was a good person, like how he dealt with everything that you would have to do, the Roman Senate, like the Roman people, the Roman Empire, but still maintained being a good person throughout his entire, um, like being an emperor. And uh, one of my biggest things that stopped me in the early days is my writing is terrible. Like originally I was going to be a doctor (laughs) when I was younger, so my writing would have fit in really well. Perfect script for it. Exactly, right? Everyone can read my handwriting, right? Is that just me? No? but for me, I find that I, I actually try and not have a structure. So I sit and I'm quiet and you know I, I try and find a quiet, uh, quiet spot to do it so that I can just be present with my mind and write down whatever comes to mind. And it might not even be something that I'm focused on, but uh, I always try and write things down that I'm grateful for that happened to me that day. I I'm always try and write down... Things that I'm grateful for in terms of like relationships with people, like friendships, relationships, uh, meetings, like someone had a good conversation with me today in a coffee shop. It was really unexpected. Cool. I'm going to put that in my grateful log, you know, stuff like that. But uh, it's really interesting that you say you write down your worries because I do that as well. I write down things that my mind is perseverating on. And I get them out of my mind, or at least Mm -hmm. put it pen to paper, because especially when you're going to bed and your mind is biting on those things and being like, oh, I'm worried about, I'm not going to wake up tomorrow because my alarm's going (laughs) to, and things like that. When you write it down, it gets it out of your mind and your mind can be like, well, it's written down, so I can just address it tomorrow, but now I'm going to get a good night's sleep. Mm -hmm. And Seneca
1: actually said, when we worry, we die twice. So Yeah. yeah, Ah, yeah. I love that. Great. Nice, and yeah, I mean, if, if I give anybody one piece of advice on journaling, if you're thinking, oh, this is good for me, I've heard so much about it, is start start small. Just stop. Just, just write down one thing. just One tiny little thing, just get the journal started, and then the next night, you'll, you'll feel more free to just mm-hmm. dive into that. Yeah. So it's, again, like we were saying earlier in the podcast, it's one small percent every day. Don't mm-hmm. jump in and think you need to write a whole journal and dump your whole brain out. Just write one little thing. It'll mm-hmm. get you started, and getting started is absolutely the hardest part. Yeah. Um, and the second thing I just wanted to chime in is I read the other day that the messier your handwriting is, the more gifted you are. See, I, I call BS on so that. So Alex and I are definitely gifted, Yes, and Freya is very neat, so I don't know what that says. <laughs> in any case, so... I'm
0: precise with my thoughts. <laughs> that is
1: very true, folks. So we're going to wrap this up here. So Alex, where can people find you? And uh, if there's any projects you'd like to uh, tell the folks about, uh, here's your time. Absolutely. So, you know,
2: if anyone's based in Toronto and wants to get a session in, my website is shiftmp.com. If you're looking for training and you wanted to look at the the whole stoic factor and the stoic conditioning side of things, that's stoicconditioning.com. Or you can just drop me an email at alex at shiftmp.com. I'm usually, I do a lot of online one-on-one stuff with people as well. So uh, yeah, you can reach me there
1: all right well thank you so much for coming out we genuinely appreciate it and like I said we'll probably have you back for a second podcast at some point to really dive into the stoicism aspect of things but for now thanks for stopping by and we'll catch you soon we hope you enjoyed our conversation to hear more head on over to stitcher or itunes and subscribe to the move daily health podcast and don't hesitate to leave us a review thanks for listening.